Thanks for joining us on Battle Walks as we walk across the great battlefields of Europe. If you're enjoying the show, why not become a member? Every week, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes available only to subscribers, and you can listen to all our episodes completely ad-free. Click on the link in the show notes to join us via ACAST+. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A Living History Production. I'm Matt McLaughlin. And I'm Pete Smith. We're battlefield historians who love nothing better than getting out and walking the ground where great battles in history took place. And now we'd like you to come with us. Every week, Battle Walks will take you to one of the great battlefields of Europe. As we walk the ground, we'll dig through the pages of history, we'll uncover the secrets of the battlefields, and most importantly, we'll tell the stories of the people who fought and died there. Welcome to Battle Walks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Battle Walks. Uh, my name is Peter Smith, and today we're going to be out on the ground again. So where are we? Well, actually, I'm sitting in my car. I have to say I'm not walking at this uh, present moment. I'm sitting in the car. It's pouring down with rain, and I'm outside the Commonwealth War Graves Cemetery of Caterpillar Valley. Now, Caterpillar Valley Cemetery is just outside the borders of the village of Longueval, so we're on the Somme again, and we're going to be talking about 1916. But this time we're going to be covering the New Zealand division. The New Zealanders attacked in this area just over the ridge which is on my right hand side on the 15th of September in 1916. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be walking their battlefield and we're going to start um, just, uh, uh, we'll have parked the car at the cemetery and we're going to walk from here up to the memorial. There's a New Zealand memorial here as well. And then down to the left hand side of the village of Flair. So what can we see from here where we are now? Well, um, the car is parked in the front of the cemetery. And if we're looking into the cemetery, then beyond us is the valley of Caterpillar Valley. So it's on the far side of the cemetery. It's going to be packed with guns for the 15th of September during the attack. So full of guns there. Behind me, on the ridge behind me, is High Wood. To my left is the village of Longueval. And beyond that village is a, another of the many woods in this area, and that's Delville Wood, which is the South African National Memorial. South Africa actually uh, bought the whole woods, and it is now their memorial. Beautiful uh, visitor centre in the in the centre and small museum, well worth a visit. And then to my right-hand side, we're looking up towards uh, the Byzantine Ridge, 
it's, it's not particularly up. It's about the same level, I suppose, but but it is a ridge. Um, and so the Byzantine ridge on the right, and we can see a Byzantine Lepertie wood. And slightly to the right of that, we can see a radio mast, and that is the mast that uh, indicates the location of the windmill where the Australians uh, uh, have already fought uh, prior to this on the uh, 23rd of uh, of July. They're going to be uh, to the 4th of August. They're going to be up there on the 4th of August fighting around the, the windmill site. So from here we get a really good view uh, around the uh, the battlefield. And so I should just mention another location. So again, if we look straight on and we're looking down into Caterpillar Valley, beyond that is the village of Montabarn, and that was taken on the 1st of July. So we're effectively surrounded literally by all of those uh, the, uh, uh, all of those uh, battle sites of the overall Battle of the Somme, 1st of July to the 18th of November in 1916. So why are we starting here? Well, Caterpillar Valley Cemetery is a concentration cemetery. It was created after the war by bringing in the bodies of soldiers within this area and also cemeteries that were shut down because they were either in unsuitable locations or they were less than 30 and so they're going to be uh, exhumed and, and, uh, and moved here. Um, it contains the graves of 5,573 soldiers are, are actually buried here. Um, of which 3,798 are unidentified. And that's very common for a concentration cemetery. Sadly, in the gathering of the men and bringing them into these cemeteries, uh, very often their identities are going to, uh, going to be lost. We also have a memorial to the, uh, to the missing here. And that memorial to the missing, and here we start to get the link to the New Zealand, uh, the New Zealanders fighting here. Uh, this memorial uh, to the missing... Uh, commemorates those New Zealanders who's, who fought and are now lost. They may be in this cemetery or in others, but they will be in here as unknown soldiers or as unknown New Zealand soldiers. And it, uh, it um, uh, the memorial commemorates 1,200 officers and men of the New Zealand division who died during the Battle of the Somme, so they're commemorated on that wall as well. We have another... Uh, uh, little aspect of this of this cemetery that, which is very interesting and that is that the unknown soldier was actually removed from this cemetery uh, as well so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, walk across now we'll get out of the car and we'll walk across and uh, and go to go to his grave so yes rather drizzly morning this morning underneath the archway a beautiful archway Caterpillar Valley Cemetery emblazoned on the on the wall. The little uh, the little box on the right hand side, the brass box containing the cemetery register and the visitors book, is just now right hand side. Um, and I'm walking to the left. He's over on the left hand side as we walk towards the memorial to the missing. In front of the memorial to the missing for the New Zealand uh, division is the stone of remembrance, and that's uh, right right in front of it and on the far side of the memorial uh, overlooking Caterpillar Valley and the uh, the village of uh, Montabarn uh, we have a, a building I don't know how to describe it really pillared looks very almost Romanesque really in, 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 its, in, the, in the layout and there's a, a seat there so again practicalities when you're visiting these cemeteries if you feel uh, uh, the need to sit down or to get out of the sun or the rain um, uh, that you, you can head over there so now I've walked to in front of the the uh, the former grave of uh, an unknown 
New Zealand soldier. He's flanked by two others, uh, a New Zealand soldier of the Great War, known unto God, those words by Rudyard Kipling, on each each side of him. And on his grave, uh, we have the wording, the former grave of a New Zealand soldier who was laid to rest in the tomb of the unknown warrior at the National War Memorial in Wellington, New Zealand, on the 11th of November 2004. Now, interestingly, that's just about when I arrived on the Somme, when we bought our house here. So we were actually here for this uh, this ceremony. And he was exhumed from the, uh, this, uh, this grave here and then moved uh, to the New Zealand Memorial. And... Uh, uh, a fantastic ceremony. Uh, Maoris in full ceremonial dress uh, guarded him for the time he was up there at each, uh, 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 around him, around the memorial. Uh, a very, very movi- moving and, uh, and solemn uh, ceremony here. So, so he now uh, lies in Wellington in New Zealand. So I'm not going to do any more about this uh, this cemetery here. Uh, well worth coming to have a have a look at. It's it's large. I think it's the second largest uh, Commonwealth War Graves cemetery on the Somme battlefield. As I say, a concentration cemetery. So there's an awful lot of people in here. But it's a great place to come for the views uh, and the uh, overlooking the Somme the Somme battlefield. Uh, today the wind's blowing. It's rather drizzly and well, in fact, more than drizzly, rainy. Leaves are blowing off the trees. We're at the end of autumn, get heading towards winter. So it's. Uh, as you can probably tell from the microphone, it's rather uh, rather drafty at the moment. So I'm going to get back in the car. I'm going to cheat today. Um, no walking for me. I'm going to uh, drive up to the uh, to the uh, New Zealand Memorial. But on a good day, if you w- want to walk, there are several routes we can take. We can go right, um, which I'm looking out now from the cemetery. So do directions again. Looking out from the cemetery towards High Wood, from the gateway into the cemetery. I'm looking out. We turn right. We head towards Longaval. Take the next left by the Bristol Pals Cross, which is a, a, a fairly new memorial, replacing one that was put up about 15 years ago, which replaced one that was put up uh, after the fighting took place here. Bristol own battalion, the 12th battalion uh, of the Gloucestershire Regiment uh, they fought here and the men decided to commemorate uh, their effort here. That memorial was destroyed and missing for many many years uh, and and literally a group of uh, private individuals got together and thought it's about time we put this back Uh, and so it now uh, 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 proudly stands where it had once stood just after the war. So we can turn left there we walk along uh, a, a slightly sunken road and then up a slight incline, and we can turn right then. And so we're now in between the two woods. We're in between High Wood and Delvale Wood. And a very famous location just along here called Wood Lane. And as the name implies, it uh, it joined these two woods together. Very, very heavy fighting to take Wood Lane. Uh, this will have been taken by the 15th of September, so the New Zealanders will move in. And it's to Wood Lane that they will prepare themselves for their assault against the ridge and then down towards the village of Flair. But more about that in a, in a little while as we move up there to go and have a look what was going on there. So I'm going to just turn the microphone off for two minutes jump in the car, cheat, uh, and drive uh, just beyond Wood Lane and up towards the New Zealand Memorial on the skyline from here. So I'll talk again in a minute. So here we are. I've just driven up to the uh, New Zealand Memorial on the ridge here. So I'll do direction again so we have an idea of what we can see from here because, again, we have extensive views from here. 
on our right hand side so this is looking in the direction of attack the direction that the new new zealanders are going to attack the new zealand division on the right hand side we have a delville wood that south african national memorial beautiful wood deciduous trees so at this time of the year uh, lots of lovely colors uh, colored leaves over my uh, left shoulder and slightly behind, I have high wood. So that's uh, behind and slightly to the uh, to the left. Also on my left, I'm just in front of the uh, memorial, the New Zealand memorial, a beautiful memor- uh, memorial. Um, not overly fancy. Again, it's an obelisk with a, a wreath at the top and emblazoned on it in honour of the men of the New Zealand division. First Battle of the Somme, 1916. And then a very famous inscription at the bottom, which I love, from the uttermost ends of the earth. Uh, And I think that tells you a lot. This is as far away as you can possibly get from uh, uh, from, uh, uh, northern France, uh, New Zealand. So directly in front of us, direction of attack, we've got a a series of uh, power lines running across, slightly interrupt uh, uh, the view. Um, but they're interesting because they're also helpful when you're on the battlefield trying to locate where you are. You can fo- follow the power lines along from all over the place. On the horizon, we now have a whole raft of wind turbines. Now, for those of you ha- who haven't been here, um, it probably wouldn't make any dis- difference to you. For those that have been here in recent years, it is a big change to see all these uh, wind turbines. And you can actually uh, see 80 turbines from here. So, extraordinary number of turbines. Anyway, back to the uh, the battlefield itself. Let's think about the New Zealand division and its arrival here. Um, As most of you will know, the New Zealanders had fought at Gallipoli. They then moved from Gallipoli to Egypt, and that's where they're reformed with reinforcement drafts. And that's where we get the the, what we would now perceive on the Western Front, the proper New Zealand uh, uh, division. It's transferred in the April of 1916 when it arrives in France, part of uh, the 2nd Anzac Corps, so still get this term, Anzac. It's going to be commanded by Major General Sir Andrew Russell. Now, Major General Sir Andrew Russell, um, an interesting character and one that I really need to read upon because I was chatting over uh, just yesterday with a few of the historians. We got together for a little bit of a meeting and we were talking about him and we were saying there's, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the better divisional commanders on the Western Front. Um, educated at Harrow, so he's New- a New Zealander, but he comes for his education, as many of the wealthy did, came to Britain. So I'd, I would describe him as a man of the empire. Came to Britain, educated at Harrow, then went on to Sandhurst, so he was always uh, an army man. Uh, um, joins the British Army and serves in those places you expect uh, you would expect a, a newly commissioned officer to go to, India, Burma, South Africa, etc., Often described as a practical disciplinarian, and certainly you get the feeling during the uh, the campaigns on the Western Front that he was tough. He was a really tough guy. He wanted his division to be to be the best on the Western Front, and so he was. He made sure they trained constantly. But I don't think he was overly disliked by the men. That's the feeling you get. He was seen as a, a fair leader. Um, but anyway, need to do more reading on on, on him. Interesting uh, character. I just do a description of the 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 
the quality of what or the the change that's happening to this division. Lieutenant Arthur Byrne, who will write the official history for the Otago Regiment, wrote that they went from passive resistance, and that would be the early days when they're, I suppose, uh, around Armentier, because that's where they go to. That's uh, Armentiers. That's the area that the division will, will be put in alongside the Australians there, who come roughly the same time, and they're going to be serving together there. They're learning their trade, their trade on the Western uh, Western Front. And uh, Lieutenant uh, Byrne describes them as m- moving from passive resistance by colonial aggressiveness. I quite like that term, colonial aggressiveness. So they moved to the Somme in the mid-August, uh, concentrating southeast of Abbeville. Um, and at that time, something extraordinary. For Australians, uh, we've discussed it, I think, in podcasts before. If not, the death penalty uh, does not take place for Australian uh, soldiers who desert or uh, do misdemeanors, strike an officer, one of many things that you can be sentenced to death for. Australians actually sentence their officers to death, uh, not officers, their men to death uh, for doing one of these misdemeanors, and then it's commuted to a a period of time of of penal servitude. Uh, For New Zealand, that's not the case. So Private F. Hughes is shot for desertion. So again, it's part of that discipline aspect, I think, of the New Zealand division. We are going to be the the best. We're not mucking about. We're not doing this, not shooting anybody. If if, if you play up and you don't do what you're, you know, you strike an officer, you you desert, then, then this this is is a possibility whether you believe in it or not then uh, this is what happened and of course most sensible people nowadays would, would say not really the, the the done thing but at that time it was um so more training and as they're moving forward and i think that's interesting even as they move forward towards the front every time they stop for a breather they don't actually they do yet more training so so and i, and I think that was that's the 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 theme really i suppose is that he wants uh he wants this to be a successful action he wants the the new zealand when i, when I say he of course i'm talking about uh, uh, general russell he wants this to be a successful division he wants this to uh you know to work uh, and as we as we will see it's going to and so that the training is going to pay off i think so by uh, the september they're in Albert, just behind the lines now, frontline uh, town, very badly damaged, but uh, they're they're in the area there. And at a place called Mailt, alongside the uh, Albert, that's where the divisional headquarters will go. So that's where he's going to uh, to base himself. On the 27th of August, the divisional pioneers go into the line. They are going to be the first people to go in, and the, and the engineers, because they are going to make sure that the trenches and the roads and the routes that uh, that are going to be used to bring the division into the front line are in a suitable condition. And that's what we just need to talk about. The weather has deteriorated from the beautiful summer weather, where the Somme battle starts, 1st of July. We're now into miserable conditions. Not dissimilar to today. So rain and uh, and wind and the ground deteriorating because of shell fire. So it's, uh, this is a, a landscape that most of the soldiers that, that will go on to fight at Passchendaele will recognise. Except, and I have talked about this before in previous podcasts, but it's worth going over. The mud here is not a, is worse. It's always deemed as a worse mud. Not because it's depth. It's because, because of its cloying nature. It holds on to your boots. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's onto your, uh, onto your equipment, sticks and builds up and gets heavy. Uh, whereas on the salience... You can shake it off. Yes, it's deep mud, it's horrible, it's, it's waterlogged the landscape. Less waterlogged here, but still unpleasant. So the weather is, uh, uh, on the eve of the attack, is going to be uh, clear and crisp, but but very cold. There's going to be a three-day bombardment before the, uh, before the attack, and the attack is going to take place at uh, 6.20 in the, uh, in the morning. And 6.20 on the 15th of September... It's crisp, it's clear, it's cold, it's also dark. That's the one thing to, to say. That is dark going towards dawn. So when they start to advance, they are advancing in, I suppose, almost half light. You would see an element of light, probably about 40 paces in front, which is often said to be the perfect uh, distance. It's a distance that you can shoot accurately, uh, and uh, but the enemy can't see you until you get that close. And that's the theory. The difficulty is going to be here is they have to capture a ridge first. So from their trenches, and their trenches are known as a Targo Trench. I suspect it may have been known that at the time, or it may have been known that after, because it's the Otago 2nd Battalion of the Otago Regiment that's going to be on the left-hand side. All these directions are given from the point of view of the view that the, the New Zealanders will have down into the village, so the, the way that they're, they're advancing. So left-hand side, we have the Otago Regiment, 2nd Battalion. On the right-hand side, uh, we have the Auckland Regiment, 2nd Battalion. They're going to be uh, on the right. 
they have to take a trench called Crest Trench before they take, and, and we are literally, this memorial where I'm sitting now, I'm still in the car, I'm afraid, where I'm sitting now is uh, we have Crest Trench behind me and what's known as a Switch Trench in front of me, and that Switch Trench is the heavily defended trench that we're going to try and take here and successfully take. So I'm sitting in between the two. So those two battalions have to uh, crest this rise, having taken Crest Trench, good name for it, uh, over the top and into Switch Trench, which they do successfully, but with heavy casualties, especially from the Otago Regiment. On the left, the Otago Battalion, the 2nd Battalion, taking fire from its left from an area that should have been taken uh, by the 47th Division, who are fighting through High Wood. Now, unfortunately, they are going to be stopped at Highwood. They will not get through. So it means that the left flank is in the air. In other words, there is nobody there on the left flank to protect them. The Germans are still occupying all the lines on the left, which means their machine guns, firing from a ridge on the left-hand side, can can uh, enfilade the attack of the, the uh, second uh, Otago battalion. So they're taking very heavy casualties on the on the left-hand side. They're driven to ground, and as is very often the case, it needs an individual to stand up and help the men move forward by an act of individual bravery. And so uh, Sergeant Donald F. Brown stands up um, and uh, moves forward and takes a machine gun position and then another position in both of these trenches. So first of all, Crest Trench and then the, the Switch Trench. So I'm going to read his citation because he will be awarded the Victoria Cross for that action. And this is New Zealand's first Victoria Cross uh, on the on the Western Front. For most conspicuous bravery and determination in attack, when the company to which he belongs suffered very heavy casualties in officers and men from machine gun fire, at great personal risk, this NCO advanced with a comrade and succeeded in reaching a point within 30 yards of the enemy guns. Four of the gun crew were killed and the gun captured. The advance of the company was continued till it was again held up by machine gun fire. Again, Sergeant Brown and his comrade with great gallantry rushed the gun, killed the crew. After his second position had been won, the company came under very heavy shell fire and the utter contempt for danger and coolness under fire of this NCO did much to keep up the spirit of his men. Now, very sadly, he will be killed uh, uh, a few days later. Um, and he's uh, he's buried uh, in uh, Wallencourt Cemetery. So he was actually killed on the 1st of, uh, of October. Now, the comrade he was with, I was just interested to see who he was. He's another sergeant, so it was two sergeants attacking together, and he was a sergeant called Jesse Rogers, who will eventually be awarded, in fact, he was awarded the MM for this action, um, and he will go on to be commissioned as an officer and will be awarded the military cross as well, so he's MCMM. And sadly, he died of wounds on the 30th of July, 1970. So neither of these men uh, that, that did this very brave act will make it make it home very very sadly. The defenders here are the 18th Bavarian Regiment. Now I don't talk about the Germans very often, partly because I'm not that knowledgeable. It's uh, it's becoming easier to know an awful lot, so I should really improve my knowledge. But here we have the the 18th Bavarian Regiment, uh, the German uh, the German structure of of uh, of command and uh, the german units in the field uh, uh, something I, I definitely need to improve on perhaps more of that later on 
Not during this podcast, I hasten to add. So, 18th Bavarian Regiment defending. Now, they are going to have a seriously tough time because the New Zealanders here are not mucking about. And, in fact, they're taking very few prisoners. And, in fact, only really wounded prisoners who are on the floor and are badly wounded are those that are going to survive. The Germans can see what's going on here on this on this trench system because this slopes down towards the village of Flair, as uh, many of you will know, which is where I live. So this flows uh, throws down to the village of uh, Flair, the, the landscape, and the German units are looking up. So they get a good view of the these two attacking battalions as they crest the rise, and they then can see them literally hunting down Germans uh, uh, in the trenches and ferreting them out uh, and killing them. They take no prisoners. And so via the Red Cross, eventually the Germans will, the Germans will submit a document uh, saying that this was an atrocity that, that, that took place, this shouldn't have happened, these men were trying to surrender. In battle, things like this happen all the time. It's uh, it's It's very, very common during the First World War. And very often for practicalities. And when you think of this action, and it's a terrible thing, but when you think of this action here, what went on here, this is a, a slope. And as if they'd have missed these men and left them, if they'd rearmed themselves, uh, and, uh, because there weren't enough men to really to to gather them together and take them back, this was uh, really just about assault and moving forward. If they'd have left them, if these men had rearmed themselves, they could have fired at them in the back very easily because it's a it's a very straightforward view down the gentle slope so there was that worry as well uh, as well i'm just going to try and explain a few more locations here so the the frontage of this attack these two battalions about 900 yards that they're, that they're attacking so it's not it's not particularly wide um and um on the right we should have had the 47th division we've not uh, on the left sorry on the left the 47th division which we haven't on the right we have the british 41st division who are doing well they're they're parallel to this they're attacking their job is to actually take the village of flair the new zealanders are taking the landscape to the left but they're going to experience problems lack of officers and even though they get into the to the village then uh, they are are going to struggle to hold it and it will be left to the new zealanders to also assist both left and right so even though their french their frontage is 900 uh, yards then it's going to uh, get a lot wider as we as we advance down the battlefield we have a valley in front of us um known after the fighting here as um butcher's valley now that sounds horrific but it's it's not as in the sense of a butcher it's uh, a man's name um a, a lieutenant butcher and uh, Lieutenant Butcher is going to pass a message to a tank, because this is going to be supported by tanks. Now, I'm not going to talk about the tanks, because I think if we haven't done a podcast uh, podcast on tanks, we are going to do one, very specifically. Uh, but there are four tanks here. The 15th of September, the date of this battle, is the first time that tanks go into action, so we can't not talk about them a little bit. So four tanks being used uh, used here from D Company. Um, heavy branch machine gun corps. We haven't yet. They're not yet called the tank corps, and they're going to support the New Zealanders here. And and you have to say, they do a a good job. The Germans have never seen them before. It's being kept uh, completely secret, and to suddenly have these uh, these tracked monsters rolling towards you certainly would uh, it would have called me uh, caused me con- uh, consternation, and it did the Germans. And so the Germans uh, certainly uh, uh, were very concerned about them. Um, anyway, so Lieutenant Butcher he, and his men are struggling 
to take uh, uh, under fire from a German position in the village. It's a, a strong point. Interestingly, sellers of my house where I actually now uh, live. And that strong point needs to be taken out because it's not in the New Zealand uh, sector of operation. It's in the 41st Divisional Sector of Operation. And so he says he stops a tank or he gets his runner to stop a tank, hammers on the uh, the side of the door, Rifleman uh, Dobson, and this is the 2nd Battalion New Zealand Rifle Brigade, hammers on the side of the tank and says, my officer uh, is a captain, by the way, I think I said Lieutenant earlier, is a Captain Nixon. Uh, he... he um, he, he hammers on the, uh, sorry, I'm going to get confused here. I'm just going to go back. I'm not going to stop the tape and redo this bit, but it's um, Captain Nixon is commanding the tank D-12. So let's get that sorted out. Lieutenant Butcher, uh, he's a lieutenant, is D Company, 2nd Battalion, New Zealand Rifle Brigade. So he's the guy that's passing the message to the tank commanded by Captain Nixon. So anyway, gets his uh, his runner uh, to bang on the side of the tank with his his shovel. The tank stops. Door opens in one of the sponsons, the the side where the guns are on the side of the tank, and uh, and he passes his message. Can you take out this this uh, this strong point? And the tank does. So why this is so important? It is the very first time of that cooperation between infantry and tanks because this is the first day tanks are used, and this is really how they should be used, where the infantry requests assistance and a tank goes to assist them. So a very important uh, time, hence the naming of this valley eventually becomes uh, known as Butcher's Valley. So as we walk down Butcher's Valley, now you can only do that at certain times of the year. And as you know, today I'm cheating. I'm not walking down the valley. I'm still sitting in the car, but it's directly in front of me. So I can see this uh, this this valley. If you walk down the valley when uh, the, you can, and actually at this time of the year I can, because this area is a crop in it, but it's a crop that's going to be ploughed back in. It's a, a, a crop that's a, called a green fertiliser. So I can walk down uh, Butcher's Valley. It's tree-lined and a bank on the left-hand side, and this becomes known as Burgle's Post. Why is it known as Burgle's Post? Because a medical officer, Captain Burgle, will bring forward his advanced dressing station and set it up here as the fighting moves off into the village, and sadly he will be killed here. Uh, He's now buried in a cemetery known as Quarry Cemetery Montalban. That's one of those locations that are pointed out behind Caterpillar Valley Cemetery. Uh, and uh, that's where a secondary medical post and also a divisional burial ground was uh, being put in there, and he will be moved back as if he was wounded because they want to get his body off the battlefield um, and make sure his his body is not lost on the battlefield for all of this excellent work uh, he's done. They don't want him to be lost. They, I suppose they revere him, and so he's, he's moved back, so it becomes known as Burgle's Post. So on they move uh, into the village, very successful fighting. This, for this attack, this attack, I haven't named this battle actually, this is known as the Battle of Flair Corselet. So Flair uh, uh, in front of us, Corselet is on uh, my left hand side and it's where the Canadians are attacking uh, at Corselet. Um, and on the right hand side we get the a ridge just on the right-hand side of when we're looking down towards Flair, and that's where the Guards Division is actually attacking on that right-hand hand side as well during this battle. So this is a fairly substantial battle, the Battle of Flair Corselet. Well, a New Zealand attack here, they take more ground than, than anybody else. Their attack is, is, is successful. So as they head on down the, uh, down the slope, still taking heavy fire from guns uh, on the ridges beyond, 
Um, but taking the uh, the German uh, uh, trenches. So they've taken the switch t- trench. They've taken a little c- connected tren- trenches called Fig um, Fair and Ferret trenches. They're captured, and that's part of uh, of the Brown Line. Um, and and then they're using the tanks to get uh, to get further forward through the uncut wire tanks, assisting them um, uh, and o- overrunning. A position known as Flair's Trench, just on the outskirts of the the village of, of Flair. Now, sadly, that tank we talked about, uh, D12, is going to be knocked out. One of four tanks here, two of them will be knocked out, and D12 was knocked out just after that, while uh, while assaulting uh, one of the trenches just on the outskirts of the uh, of the village known as Fort Trench. So it it was knocked out. Next little bit of tank and infantry coordination that takes place here. And and that is one of the tanks. New Zealand has now taken most of their objectives. They can't quite get to the red line because of enfilade fire from the left. Um, they take it briefly and then have to fall back to the outside of the village, mainly because they're having to cover the left where there's no 47th uh, Division and the right where the 41st Division has, has fallen back. So they've got quite a wide frontage. So it's deemed that this is the place to dig in and, and to stop here, which they successfully do. But there is a tank here as well. There's a tank called D11, um, commanded by uh, a chap called uh, Persil. And they actually stop it and request, because it's due to go back, it's starting to run low of fuel, the tanks have done their job, but they say to, to this to this tank commander, can you stop here overnight with us? We are concerned that we may be overrun on the night and we'd like your support if you're still here and the Germans can see there is still a, a, a tank out front. And that's what he does. So, so uh, Persil and his tank, D11, uh, they uh, stay uh, in the front, and that tank is actually has a name. Some of them had names, some did not. This one is called Die Hard. So Die Hard stays in front of the village of Flair overnight, protecting the uh, the New Zealanders and the 41st Division who are holding the village. So very successful attack. Sadly, quite heavy uh, casualties. So we're just going to talk about the casualties as we always do at the end of, of one of these podcasts. So the second brigade. They had 798 casualties, and they were the the, the guys that took uh, the the ridge initially. So the the two trenches, Crest Trench and uh, and Switch Trench. The third brigade took the uh, the brown and the blue lines, and they had 1,200 casualties. From a point of view of battalions, the two battalions that took the heaviest casualties were the second Otago on the left during that initial assault. 700 men assaulted, 460 of those 700 men will become casualties. So that's terrible for that battalion, and it will become ineffective. It will uh, need to be completely re-kitted out and resupplied with uh, with men. And the second Auckland on their right, 700 men assaulting, 309 casualties. So nearly, nearly as bad. So uh, very heavy casualties on those two front uh, assaulting, uh, assaulting battalions. But for the New Zealanders... A fantastic first effort on the Western Front. So this is their first attack of the New Zealand division, uh, and uh, and they will go on to greater things. So I hope you've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that. Just a, a quick overview in terrible weather of the uh, of the New Zealanders fighting on the Somme uh, in their first action in 1916. I'll be back with you again soon. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Firstly, you can become a member. For a small monthly fee, you could subscribe to the show and listen to every episode ad-free and also receive exclusive episodes directly from Pete and I. So see the link in the show notes to sign up at ACAST Plus and become a member of the show. Also, if you want to make a one-off contribution, you can now buy us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash battlewalks and you can make a small contribution there. See you next week.